have a question for you this morning. Is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? We started a series uh, last week. For some of you that weren't here last week, we started a series uh, that is talking about grace. We've entitled it The Walk of Grace. And it's taken from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We are going to be pulling this verse apart over the next couple of weeks. And so this passage is going to become very uh, special in that we're going to be focusing in on this verse. I would encourage you, if you haven't memorized this verse, to take some time over the next four weeks and to put this verse to memory. The verse goes like this, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. On Monday night, I had the privilege of taking a walk with my son, uh, Brian. And we took about a mile walk, and it was quite a significant walk. It was an opportunity for us to uh, talk about life. And we were talking about things that were probably pretty significant. In fact, it was one of the most significant conversations I had in my week. And I think it's good for our souls to walk and to talk at the same time. I think our souls need to take more walks. And I find that when I walk, there's exercise of my whole body, but there's something about walking and talking that just go together. <laughs> and I found myself in this conversation with my son, and we... We didn't have any agenda necessarily. We just decided, hey, I said to Brian, let's just take a walk. Well, where do you want to go? Well, let's go down the road. So we walked down the path for about a mile, came back, and we had some significant conversation. We talked about things that were of value to us, things that were important to us, and I just found myself coming back from that walk feeling renewed. I would like us over the next couple of weeks to take a walk of grace I'd like us to walk in the midst of grace. Because here's what we identified last week. We identified a foundation for us in that we talked about grace saving us. In Romans 3, 4, and 5, Paul talks about how grace saves us. And we identify, we know that we are saved by grace through faith. In fact, the Bible verse that most of us know is, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we know, and we, we hear that often. We say, we know that we're saved by grace, our salvation. The word that Paul uses is we are justified before the Father. We are justified before him. And so we understand grace in the past. And then we talked about Romans 8, about how we are glorified. We're going to heaven because of grace. We know that there's a future for us, and it's because of God's grace. And so we know the beginning, and we know the end is by grace. But over these next four weeks, we need to talk about how grace is also in the middle of these bookends of our salvation and our glorification. Grace is also involved in our sanctification. And I think oftentimes what we do is we have the thinking that we're saved by grace 
and now I have to work out my salvation. And so now I have to work, work, work. I have to pray, pray, pray. I have to read, read, read. I have to go to church, church, church. And I have this long list of things to do. And that is not the walk of grace. And for some of us, this is going to be new theology. This is going to be a new way of thinking that maybe we've never thought about before. Let me just give you, before we get into our text this morning, let me give you a picture of grace. Just imagine a moment, this scenario. Suppose that someone mean comes into your house and murders one of your loved ones. You have a choice. You could use every effort that you have. You could chase down the killer, find him, and do what you want to do to him. And we would call that vengeance. And I learned vengeance at a very young age with my brothers. When they would hit me, I'd hit him back twice as hard. And I can still remember my brother saying at one point, I still remember this scenario. He hit me. We must have been like five or six years old, right? Brotherly stuff. He hit me and I hit him back twice as hard. And he says, what was that for? I told him, I says, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back twice as hard. That's the way we fight. That's the way we live. And we have the, when somebody hurts me, I'm going to get him back twice as hard. That's vengeance. Or we could choose to do this. Let the legal system do their thing. Sit back and have the authorities prosecute and have a fair trial for this man that did this to your loved one. What would we call this? We would call this justice. And we would let the legal system do what they're supposed to do. We would say, yes, let justice rule. That's what the court systems are supposed to do. They're supposed to keep us safe. They're supposed to say this is right and this is wrong. They are not to be bribed into what we want them to say. That is not justice. That's what our justice system is here for. That would be called justice. But what if, what if we pled the pardon of this murderer forgave them, invited them into our house, and adopted this person into our family and made them our son, our adopted son. Friends, that's grace. Grace is undeserving. It's unmerited. It's not what we deserve. We deserve everything but, but that's grace. And what God has done for us and what God is doing for us, what God is doing today for us, is he is a God of grace. My question to us today is, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough for your daily activities as a believer? Or do we need something more? And I draw your attention to this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6? We are going to, in these next 10, 15 minutes, I want to give you a picture of this passage. Because when I read this passage, this is a very difficult passage. I will confess to you that there is a lot here in this passage. So what I did is I drew a picture. 
And in my notes, I drew this picture early on in the week, and I said, now I see the text. And so I thought, I, I want to give you the picture of what I drew. And maybe this will help you understand God's grace in our work as believers today. Romans 6 and 7 are written to us believers. Paul is going to make the case that in Romans 3, 4, and 5, he's going to say, we've been saved, we've been justified by grace. For by grace, we are saved. Correct? We understand that. But when we get to Romans 6 and 7, Paul is going to say this. Grace is now going to be your walk. Really? You mean I'm supposed to walk by what in the world does that look like? And then in Romans 8, he's going to talk about grace justifying us. So here's the picture. I've got a picture here, and I hope that you've got it out of your bulletin. This is what my picture looks like. Would you fill it in as we go through this picture? And I'm just going to walk you through some of the events of this picture and it's going to be biblical. I want to show you the verses here. Let's look at the first observation about our picture. I have a stick man, and above the stick man is August 7th, 2016. Here's the purpose. I want you to see that this text is present tense. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? God forbid. He's talking about the present tense. He's talking about how we live. How do we deal with sin? How do we combat sin? How does grace combat sin? I don't have time to look through this uh, passage by way of the next paragraph, but he's going to talk about a baptism here in verses 4 and 5. That baptism, friends, is a baptism where you and I were dunked into Christ by the Spirit of God, and it has nothing to do about water. We have been identified into Christ by the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit is the one that is moving us and controlling, wanting control of us, and that's the sanctifying work of the believer. On this picture, notice at the very top, it's called grace's sanctification process. By the word sanctification, just put the words being made holy. Or being set apart to be holy. Because that's what God has saved us to be. God has not saved us for heaven. That's what some of us think. Now that we're saved, what we can do is we know that we've got our ticket to heaven. And now we can live any way that we want. Because we know that we're going to heaven. And when we get to heaven, then we'll deal with God and with Christ. And that is not Christ's agenda at all for us. The cross of Calvary desires more. The cross of Calvary demands more. The cross of Calvary demands everything of you and I as believers. So this is not just grace here to save and grace to glorify him here. And then in between, we have no clue as to what to do. That's why Paul writes Romans chapter 6 and verse 7. This is present tense theology. Look at the second observation. This is really fascinating. Look at the repeated phrase three times in verse 16, 19, and verse 22. Look at Romans uh, 6, verse 19. And let's just read this verse. And I want you to notice this phrase. It says in verse um, 16, 
It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to, circle that phrase, which leads to, because he'll say it leads to either obedience, which leads to righteousness. Skip down to verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to. He repeats it again. We're leading to something. Look at verse 22. He uses the same phrase. He's going to say in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to. Three times we're leading, we're taking there's a progression here that Paul is taking us through. And so we need to see that it is a progression. And we're stepping towards something as believers. Look at the third observation. The third observation is on the right-hand side of your picture. Notice the two boxes. Because what is it that we are going towards? What is it that we're moving to? Look at the last verse of chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is the goal that God has. When I say eternal life, what does your mind naturally think of? Somebody say it. Heaven. <laughs> See, when we read this passage, we say, oh, he must be talking about heaven. Uh-uh. Take that thought and, and challenge your thought and say, no, that's not what it is. Eternal life is in the present tense. Right now, you and I can taste eternal life. Look at the passage. Go back to the last verse in chapter 5. Because Paul is going to introduce eternal life in the very last verse of chapter 5, verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through res uh, righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This eternal life in chapter 5, verse 21, and here in chapter 6, verse 23, these are the two bookends that Paul was talking about, and he's going to describe how we get from eternal life that he mentions in chapter 5, verse 21, how we get to that eternal life in chapter 6. Friends, eternal life is not heaven. Eternal life is a quality of life, a realm of life that is available for you. Eternal life is here right now. And what is it? Well, in your box, notice a couple of things. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he will call this abundant life. He will call it abundant life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus will clarify specifically what eternal life is. And let me just put these verses on the screen for you, and I'd like you to look at this because Jesus in this Lord's Prayer of John chapter 17, this is the Lord's Prayer, all 26 verses. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what he prays. He says, Jesus said these things and raises his eyes in prayer, and he said, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your Son, so the sun in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human. So he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. 
And this is real and eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. There is eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ. And if you know them, not here, not just with our minds, but when we experience them, we are tasting eternal life. Let's continue reading this passage. Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. Eternal life is Christ-likeness. Because of time, I'm not going to take us to 2 Corinthians 3, but you have this in your notes. Take the Bible out and turn with your kids this week. Take your Bible out and read 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 19, and Paul will describe the transformation work that the Spirit of God is doing in us, and he says it's being Christ-like. Christ-likeness is being formed in us. It's like the Spirit of God comes into us, and now the Spirit of God is maneuvering us so that Christ might be revealed in our actions, and he wants out. He wants out of the soul to describe Christ. Can Christ be seen today? You bet. How is he seen? Through the believer. And when you are like Christ Jesus, when you stand at Wendy's in that line and you patiently wait for the lady who behind the counter is literally taking 10 minutes to do her job, you don't get impatient, but you sit patiently. I saw Christ in my wife this past week. And I looked at her and I said, you're still here? I was ready to get revenge. These people don't know what they're doing. And she was just, no, I'm okay. And I, I had to step back and I had to walk away from the counter because I wasn't going to say anything nice. But she was. No, and seriously, you and I do this, this every, that's where the faith has worked out. It's not worked out here. <laughs> it's worked out at Wendy's. It's worked out at McDonald's. That's where we live. It's called Christ-likeness. Now, here's where it gets really exciting, friends. Over the next five to seven minutes, jot down the key words in this outline because here's what Paul is going to teach us, how to live by grace. This passage is unbelievable. Watch what Paul does. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way that Christ died and rose again, in the same way, count yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13. Now notice in verse 13 a word that's going to be repeated three times. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Offer, offer, offer. It's not pray, pray, pray. It's not read, read, read. It's offer, offer. What does that mean? Well, the King James uses the word reckon. How many of you have used the word reckon lately? I, I have to say it with a little southern drawl because I like this word. I'm reckon. Now, that's, we don't use that word. What does it mean to be reckon? Well, here's what the word has in the Greek. or It has the idea of presenting yourself. It has the idea of offering yourself. You come before your... your, your uh, your 
authorities and you offer yourself and you present yourself to them. And it was a military term. It has the idea of yielding ourselves. We come and we say, here I am. And that's the word that Paul uses here in verses 11 through 14. We are to offer ourselves. It's interesting that Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer yourselves, present yourself. It's the same Greek word in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Those are two verses that you ought to memorize as well, along with this verse, Galatians 2.20. If we are going to die to ourselves, we need to recognize that Christ has done it and we offer ourselves to God. That's the first step. Let's keep reading the passage and look at the next step. Let's finish uh, verse 14. He says, For sin shall not be your master, but you are not under law, but under grace. By the way, he says here, you're, we're talking about grace. And so he just brings back, that's right, we're not under law, we're under grace in this sanctifying work. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves, and there's the word offer again, same word, when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. The key next key word is the word obedience. We yield ourselves to obedience, to obey. And you say, well, what does it mean to obey? Dexter, we've got Dexter who was staying with us last night, our son and daughter, and our son brought Dexter. He's a fun dog. Every time I just say the word, I have to laugh because Dexter is a really fun dog. He stayed with us last night. So this morning, I let him out early because I was the first one up. So I thought I would let him out to do his thing because he had that look in his face like, I need to relieve myself. And he had such a pitiful face, you know, he looked through the window, so I thought, well, I'll let him out. So I let Dexter out, that crazy dog. He bolted. He took off. I think he's been cooped up for, what, five, six hours. It's time for him to run. Dexter, come here. He didn't come. Dexter, come here. And, you know, your voice gets a little bit more sterner, but you're not trying to wake the neighbors. Dexter, come here. You know, don't want to wake them. And for about five minutes, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be chasing this dog around the neighborhood. Because he wasn't being obedient. Now, his pattern is probably different. He eventually got up on the, uh, the patio, and I was able to corner him there. <laughs> and I was able to take him by the collar. And I brought him inside, and he was able to relieve himself. And everybody was happy, and, you know, it was fine. But we train our dogs to be obedient. We know what that means. You and I know what obedience is. For example, mom and dad say to us, you know, there's a couple of tree limbs that are down that fell last night because of the storm, would you go out and pick up those limbs and put them in the trash for me? And we have a choice. We know exactly what we need to do. We have a choice to either yield ourselves to do what they say or to not. I mean, obedience, friends, is not rocket science, is it? And Paul is saying here that we offer ourselves to obedience. Everything that we do, we offer ourselves to him in obedience. What is it that God is asking you to do? And I, I'm almost convinced that you probably already know. Our conscience will tell us, this is the thing to do. This is not the thing to do. Oh, you shouldn't. And we feel uncomfortable when we know that. And that's the Spirit of God prompting us to be obedient to what the will is for whatever the situation might be. Look at the next step as we move through this passage of Scripture. Look at verse uh, 17 through 19. 
But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. The Christian faith is based on teaching. But I don't like school. I don't like to study. That's okay. Christian faith is based upon some knowledge of things that we need to know. Teaching which you were entrusted. Verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural slaves, uh, your natural selves, just as you used to offer, there's the same word, you offered the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness. The key word here is obedience leads to righteousness, which leads to holiness. And so these next couple of blanks, we can see that when we are obedient, that becomes an act of righteousness, which leads to an act of holiness. What are we reflecting when we are obedient and the grace of God is taking us in this process of obedience? We reflect the holiness of God. He only is holy. And so this becomes a characteristic of God himself. Not because of us. We're not the holy ones. No. It's his holiness. We offer in obedience, which leads to righteousness, which leads to holiness. And then the text says, we come to the conclusion, we see that it is, it leads to eternal life. I'd like you to take just a moment to look at this picture. Because when I saw this picture this past week, I, my soul, connected with this picture. Is there any way that you can dim the lights back there so that we can see the details of this without losing the, the screen? Thank you. These two gentlemen are filthy with oil digging out in the fields. And if this isn't a picture of the justification work of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. This leads to eternal life. Eternal life is a quality of God that is produced by him. That's what it means to live by grace. To be a grace believer means that God is producing eternal life in us every day of every moment. And we are dropping seeds of eternal life in our actions as we trust him and we yield ourselves to him. And this is the result. These two gentlemen are, they're into their eyeballs with filth. And can I suggest to you that when we are saved out of the miriness of sin, this is exactly what we look like in our salvation. And now what we tell ourselves, we try and take that muckiness and we try and take it away ourselves and you and I will never be able to do it ourselves. It's too messy. How many of us have some habits that we say to ourselves, this is a habit that my parents passed on to me and it's just who I am. Or this was just the way that I was raised. And the gospel comes in and says, but I'll set you free. Do you believe it? Yeah, but this is what I'm used to. This is what I've been raised in. Look at this filthy mess, and we start doing this. We start looking at all of this instead of the cross of Calvary that brings us life. 
And God says, is Christ enough? Do you need anything else to get cleaned up? You need 12-step? You need 6-step? You need 3-step? You need 2-step? See, this formula right here is not a step where the Spirit of God says, even though he gives us some steps here to eternal life, this is lived out in the daily activities of where you and I live in Wendy's. Wendy's is the most spiritual place for my soul to learn this, not here. Because what I do here, I make it look like I'm clean. And I clean up pretty good, don't I? Our soul needs to be worked on the inside. How does it? We live by grace. And this is the work of the grace. Next slide, eternal life. I ask you the question, and you can just leave the lights down. I'm, I'm good. I can see up here. The question that I have for you today is, is Christ enough for your daily activities? <laughs> Some of us are hooked into a habit that we've been doing for years we can't be released because we think that it has power over us and I'm here to remind you today there's a power that can release you from that addiction there is there are some of you here that are recipients of that grace and you are now on the other end and you can look back and you can say yeah God has saved me from that addiction I'm addicted to whatever it is because we come into the world addicted and you know who we're addicted to this is the most dangerous religion in all the world. It's not Islam. It's not the Masons. It's not the religions that you and I, you know, we watch the news and we get all uptight about things that we watch. The most dangerous religion in the world is meism. Me, myself, and I. It's the trilogy of destruction that says, I can do this. Me, my, I'm going to buck it up. I'm going to do this. I'm just such a strong person. Friends, you and I are not strong people. At the core, we are filthily dependent upon him and him alone. Is Christ enough? And that's the question that we have to live. I, I, I want to encourage you this past week with your kids, with our grandkids. Can we start having conversations that include Christ in our conversations with our daily activities? And not talk about just God. You know what? God will save us from this. We need to trust God. Uh-uh, let's not use that language. That's too general. Can we start using language like this? Christ is my source of strength. And be very specific. And start talking to our kids and talking to our friends and our spouses about, is Christ enough? And I'd like to just ask you to do some evaluation of your conversation. How much conversation do you have about Christ during the week? And is Christ enough? Yes. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, this walk of grace is mysterious. It is, Father, um, a walk that is at times um, mystifying. Father, we confess that oftentimes we thank you for the grace that saved us, and then what we do is we put ourselves on the throne of our own hearts, and we try really, really hard to make it happen. Father, strip away our meism 
and strip away, Father, the things that we put our faith and our trust in. And may we just, may we come to you and offer ourselves as the first of what you will do in obedience to what you call us to do. And you produce the righteousness and you produce the holiness that eventually leads us to an abundant life that is really, even in the midst of difficulties, we can, Father, experience eternal life. Father, may we taste it this next week like we've never tasted it before. Give us, Father, a hunger to taste it more often. May our diet, Father, be that of grace, not of works, because we're not under law. And dare we sin because we're under grace, God forbid. Father, empower us and envision us with what this looks like in our daily activities at Wendy's, McDonald's, at wherever we eat and wherever we play and wherever we work. Father, it's there that we need to put it into practice. And so, Father, we confess our weakness to you and ask that you would empower us to live that life that will bring honor and glory to you. Because someday, Father, when it's all said and done, it's all what you have done through us, period. And Christ is enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.